Namo tasa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo antasa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo antasa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namsami Today, the full moon in this month. This is the day that's, that's commemorated as Anapanasati Day. It's the day in the suttas where the, there's this great uh, con- convocation at uh, Savati and the Pubarama at Savati when the Buddha gave his teachings on mindfulness of breathing. And uh, People have been there for the whole three months of the rains retreat and all these monks kind of practicing away very fervently and the Buddha said this is really good and I'm going to stay around for another month which is which we just concluded and I'll give these teachings on mindfulness of breathing and so this day is the day that uh, these were given according to the lunar calendar so this is uh, <clears throat> you know when you look at it very simply I think it's really um, remarkable and wonderful and um, quite a relief in a way just to sense how the Buddha established all this uh, liberation just around breathing in and breathing out you have a religion based on breathing in and breathing out <laughs> which is great because we, we all do that <laughs> so we all belong to it <laughs> we belong to the same religion called breathing in and breathing out religion yeah. <laughs> and he said this through breathing in and breathing out um, but being mindful of being aware of it that all the uh, full spiritual potential can come into come into play, can be revealed through this, you know, breathing in and breathing out. So, you know, this is not really a dogma or an ideological position. You can't say good breathers, bad breathers, you know, old breathers, young breathers, new age breathers, just breathing in and breathing out. All human bodies do that. Probably dogs do it. Even dogs are Buddhists. And but they don't necessarily make really focus on it or allow it to, to be a conscious fact. <laughs> this is the this is the difficult bit. <laughs> because the Buddha taught other forms of meditation and many other encourages in many other ways as well. There's something, I think, you know, really crucial about this because we begin to recognize in, in that kind of obviousness and simplicity there's quite a lot there, really, in that. What, why can't we just be aware of breathing in and breathing out? You know, it's not that we can't do it. And it's asking us to do something really 
special and extraordinary and super and religious or spiritual or esoteric or high-minded. Breathing in and out is not high-minded, it's not esoteric, it's not, it's not Eastern, it's not West, it's just, there it is. Why can't we do it? <laughs> Why can't we just, you know, focus on that? Why can't we just relax, be with that? You know, you see there's, most of us I guess, that we're <clears throat> all kinds of other things are happening. You know, both on a level of uh, what seems to be external stimulation. You know, too busy to breathe in and out. I'm going to need time to breathe in and out. Um, too, too occupied to breathe in and out. Too young to breathe in and out. Too excited to breathe in and out. Too desperate to breathe in and out. Too, too old to breathe in and out. And then too dead. <coughs> To breathe in and out. <laughs> so our life can go by with one reason or another why we couldn't breathe in and out. <laughs> Had the opportunity to be with that. So this is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Really, when the Buddha is saying, "Well, if you just were aware of this, then you you know you realise complete peace of mind, freedom, liberation, purity, clarity, strength, compassion. Quite a lot there." So we think, well, well this is why can't I do it? And this is really, you know, what, what a lot of Buddhism is about, trying to own up to why we can't do it. And what we can do to, to understand why we can't do it and uh, get to apply ourselves to these obstacles, not be fooled by them. Because of course one, one set of obstacles seems to be always well because of the noise or because of the this, that and the other going on. But then we sit still, you know, nothing happening. Oh, well, uh, wow, I think too much, feel really a bit tense, a bit tight, falling asleep, drowsy, oh, you know, thinking about tomorrow. You know, trying to work something out in my head. Um, you know, all oh, pain in my body. That's why I can't. So we we find another level, and you, if you begin to recognise it, actually, this is the level where it's more potent than these external things that we tend to assume are stopping, getting in the way. So when you sit down in silence, and you begin to see, well, this is what's really happening. And this is where one actually, the external world begins right there. You know, in our reaching out, in our planning, in our wanting, in our resisting, in our remembering and grudging and irritation with and sorrow about and so forth. Where is the external world? You know, where is it? Where is it? You know, you can see, well, it's that which is touching us and our impulses and our memories and our thoughts and our moods and our feelings and our psychologies and our strategies and our all that. Hmm? The birds aren't stopping one breathing in and out. And the sound of the truck going down the drive doesn't stop one breathing in and out. Even the bomb wars in Iraq don't stop you breathing in and out. Hmm? But the the 
worries, the fears, the tensions, the hopes, the expectations, the um, all these things. Yeah. And some of these are not, you know, that level of stuff you can witness happening in, in your thinking process, then also you can find that the general result of that is sometimes you can't hardly feel your body. You know, what body? So, so out, you know. You can't really feel my own body very much. Or you do feel it, it feels all tight or numb, you know, difficult, tense. And the Buddha said that actually we call them knots or ganta, the knot of sensuality, the knot of ill will, the knot of views, and these kind of knots you know, which are experiences of kind of tightness and 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 uh, stuckness and lockedness. And you can actually see feel sense those and they're not you know, can you sense them in your body. You get this kind of t- tightness around your throat or restriction in your chest or a tension in your in your abdomen. So that your body gets so frozen up and shocked and tense that you know, even if you can't breathe properly and mind awareness doesn't want to be with that so your mind is always popping off to somewhere else where it's a bit more loose and free hmm. so you begin to begin to acknowledge some of these uh, difficulties that we seem to be encased in Actually, breathing in and out is quite a, in itself, it's quite a pleasant yoga for the whole system. But you have to, in a way, be able to use it, approach it, make use of it in a way that is in tone, in tune with what breathing out's, in and out's about. Breathing in and out is something that happens, you don't have to do it. Breathing out happens quite naturally, you don't have to be especially psyched up to do an intensive breathing in and out experience. You just, there it is. Mostly it's about getting out of the way of breathing in and out. You know. So this can be sometimes very difficult because these, these um, knots and these psychologies and these hindrances can be so deeply ingrained that you know one takes something like meditation from a very knotted point of view right? you've got to meditate you've got to be good at it it's important that you're very good at it that wasn't very good was it <laughs> you know and how do you feel when you hear a voice like that you feel yourself tighten up oh no so you try and get better at it and then you tighten up a bit more and then there's a blaming, and then a self-laceration, and oh, oh stupid waste of time, and do something else, and go and kick a tree instead, you know, or something like you know, like that. So we approach meditation from this point of view. You're approaching it from the very point of view that it's that it's supposed to release you from. So then it's best to stop meditating and just relax. And just 
sense sense just being here, you know, trying to get out of the knotted viewpoint, you know, which which tends to is ingrained in us and is often associated with volition, the way I do things and aims, what I want to achieve or get to. These these are these are particular topics that we tighten up around because we probably learnt you know unconsciously or even consciously that if you want to do something the best thing to do is tighten up you know really get in there do it and uh, make sure you do it really well otherwise you're going to have to defend yourself from blame or criticism so it's quite a hard it can be quite a hard edge around the way we do things we can be quite driven and um um, you know, and you can sort of almost find your whole system is so used to that way of doing something you know, that you can't do anything lightly light sounds like it's not worthwhile it sounds kind of flimsy you can't, you can't get light you know because you do something like just oh my god, waste the time. You know, you can't you can't maintain awareness with lightness. You can only maintain it through really pumping away, heavy in something. And so it takes quite a while, really, to be able to be light and open, and but stay in touch, stay present, because the whole system can be so attuned to something more hard or harsh or fierce or fiery getting ahead, really getting intense, putting an intense effort into what we're doing. So you really get it right. And then this could be backed up with various um, senses we have, you know, like working hard, that's good. To really work hard is good, rather than to work in a relaxed way, you know. That can feel good. And when the system energy is kind of uh, strong and powerful, you feel really this is good, this is bright, this is vigorous. And so you sense that. You know, this feels good. Unlike any, anything else that's learned, one's sense of good yeah, is, is a learned experience. You know. Good is a very handy word you can put on anything. Good is, is when I actually feel in tune with what I'm accustomed to. You know. So I feel good you know, when my energy is at a particular place. And this is so, so some, the meditation often involves really being able to come out of being good, out of one's good places. Because uh, Compulsions generally, you know, make you feel good at first. Otherwise, you wouldn't do them. Like smoking a cigarette, or something like that. Reach for a cigarette. And, oh, it feels good. Oh, halfway through, you, think, you know. But next time you're feeling a bit nervous or itching, reach for a cigarette, light up. Oh, it feels better. Feels really good, you know. So yeah, or having a beer, going down to the pub, have a beer, feels good. I wouldn't do it if it didn't feel good. 
switch on telly, whatever, have a cup of coffee, whatever one's particular addiction is, one's little compulsion is. And there's a lot of this around. People who compulsively joke, because it feels good, it releases some tension. And joke. You know. I think we have certain speech habits that we use that become compulsive. And because that, for that moment, you feel good. You can have a compulsion towards knowing things and clarity. When you get that bit of knowledge in your head, you feel, oh, that's it, I feel good, I feel bright, great. And then, oh, and then another one. It's the same pattern, you know, from cigarettes, beer, coffee, television, music, whatever. You know, it's the same to knowledge and thought. At the moment you get the hit, you feel good. You feel that sense of, oh, great, that's it. And then, oh, oh, let's have another one. Yeah. That's what it's like. Because good isn't, or is it, we call it good. We say, I feel good. Because that moment, we've learnt that, is that's our moment when, you know, the, the anxiety or the nervousness or the tension momentarily was released. You know, we reach for our, our escape hatch, got it. And for that moment, the, the frustration or the boredom or the wooliness or the fuzziness or the, you know, stopped. Oh, good. But the, with all these, if they worked, it would be great. But of course, they don't actually work. And they, they, they give you a momentary relief, release from that. <coughs> Tell a joke. Suddenly, you know, the, one feels bright and positive and happy and then feel a bit after a few minutes, feel a bit nervous, so you tell another joke. Compulsive talk, compulsive read, read things compulsively, you know, feeling a bit bored, distracted, I read something that's nice, jumble, 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 jumble in my head, oh, lovely, 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 oh, I feel good, you know, and then, oh, well, done that, now another one, you know. National Geographics, you think, look, look at these pictures, you're good. And then, oh, well, another one. I was looking at them, these <clears throat> cartoon books. Sometimes we get these Calvin and Hobbes or Peanuts or um, Doonesbury or something like that, these cartoon books. And, oh, Far Side. And you look at one of these, you go, oh, that's really funny. That's great, feel good. And you turn over the page and oh that's great, funny too. And after about five pages you think, oh, you know. <laughs> it's like it's it's a, something that breaks a certain tension or is playful and it makes you feel good. But then eventually you realise you're not getting anywhere, you just it's just it's like chewing gum, you know, after while the flavour's gone. <laughs> And you're still doing it, you're still turning over the page for the next hit, but the flavour's gone. And so you have to put it away and look at something else. And the next day you come back and you have another hit, no, it's good. It's little, you know, there's a margin of goodness in it, otherwise you wouldn't do it. But the point is that it's not satisfactory. It's not, and um, so you kind of look, look at the things, you begin to recognise these compulsions that we all have, you know, 
what they're in there, are really ways of taking us out of the frightened space or the tense space or the feeling where we don't know where we are. You know, lost, disconnected. Mm. And they take us into a place of me, me being in control, me being able to do it, me being on top, me being funny, me being happy, me being relaxed, me being positive, me getting it done, and all that, and I feel good. It's a me space, it's ego, ego space that we go into. <clears throat> and this is, uh, you know, really such a universal pattern. And we all have specific and particular little ways in which we do that. I call it playing with our toys. You know, we go into our little rooms and play with our toys. Um, you know, train sets. It could be anything, really. It could be Abhidharma. It could be your toy. It could be archery. It could be you know, anything that we get into me being good, feeling good with it, and doing my bit. And it, it, of course, if it worked, well and good. And if it's moral, well, you know, good luck, whatever. You know, it doesn't do anybody any harm. But um, the point of meditation is, is we are coming out of that. Or cultivation is to be able to come out of that level of, of these gratifications into something where you don't have to do it anymore. You don't need any toys. You don't need the, the teddy bears and the, the palliatives and the little trips to take away the sting and the boredom and the restlessness. You can, get, you can actually release those. You can, and you come into something that is capable of releasing it. And this is um, transpersonal. It's not only, you know, with it. And this is, the, of course, the difficulty is coming through or past those very ego structures that help to hold us together with our ploys and our strategies that help to make us feel okay. You know? And it has to come through that because when you start to come through it, you don't feel okay. <laughs> you know, you feel... I'm lot. I'm losing. I don't know. I'm not. This is strange. It's not, I don't really clear here, and I'm not winning. And this is always a, a kind of a piece of piece of territory that uh, to navigate. And the, one of the themes of meditation is to find something that can help hold you through that, to help you let go, to give you something that will that will carry you through this letting go. And so, in simple, t- you know, simple terms, me- breathing is one of these things. Because it, contact, it gets you in touch with a, a, with a body energy that is not about me and, and my personality and my strategies. It happens. You know, and yeah, there are other things. You can just you know, go to silence, for example. That which just happens. That which just is where you can relax and open to that and you can still discern it and it carries you and then all the, the tightness and the defending the trying to get it right and the can shake around and finally you know tumble out and you can relax 
into something that's bigger, bigger than I am, bigger than me. Which is great because this is bigger than me. You know, actually, this whole life is a lot bigger than me. I'm going to die. I don't really know where I came from. I don't know anything. I don't know you. I, can, I have ideas about you, but I don't really don't know. There's a lot out there that's bigger than me. And my little mind tries to get opinions and ideas about it all and say, well, I know where you're at, and I know who you are, and I know what this is about, and I've got that sorted, and we don't have to think about that. And this is <laughs> so, so I can try to you know, cram the world or, or a synopsis of the world in, into me. So that's why you know, we're addicted to knowledge. Because you know? I can get this knowledge in my head and run these little thoughts and signals around. Oh, no, I know. I know what this is. I know who you are. I know what that's about. Got it. Bonk. Next. That's summed the world up. And I mean, the moon is like this. And then after death, it's like that. And, you know, so you name it. I can, I can get them. I can, I can take it all. I can fit it all in there. And then I can juggle it, compare it, contrast it, define it, which is right, which is wrong, where you're at, what you should be, what I should be, you name it, I can do it. <laughs> but what are we doing, you know? And just playing with my own little images. You know? Just because the mind can make images of the world, and images are out there doesn't mean it's out there. It's like because you can you can pick up a map doesn't mean you're walking on the on the land. You know, I can pick up a map of China and walk across it with my fingers in in a couple of minutes. But it's a lot different from actually getting your feet on the ground and doing it, being out there with it, and being out there. You know, this is the if you like the the very experience that our ego structures are created around um, protecting us from. Everybody has this ego structures, it's not like something sinful or weird, it's a normal thing, as a, as a filter. But in the, in the awakening process, the idea, the theme of it is that one gradually develops, or what, what does develop, are the faculties and the capacities to be able to be out there, to be in the real reality, rather than just in images of it, without getting uh, overwhelmed or blown away or lost. We can handle life, we can handle death, we can be with pain, we can be with joy, we can meet the unknown, we don't have it all figured out and sorted out and categorized and processed and filtered and served up on a plate for us. We can actually be with the way it is. And with that, there's a, there's a, there's a, a freedom and a liberation from these tightnesses and these constrictions and these fears and these withheldness and these and the grasping that are all the ego structures that are trying to um, make the world small enough for me to digest it. Which is what it all does, doesn't it? You become an object of, something becomes an object of my greed, you know, so that's what it is. It becomes an object of my hatred, that's what it is. So in a way I've I've assessed, I've 
named that thing. Hmm? But when you really consider, you know, even something like a, these roses, are they beautiful or not? You know, these flowers, are they beautiful or not? <laughs> you know, do you want them or not want them? Beautiful or not beautiful? Does the rose know that it's beautiful? You know. So, so where is this stuff? You know, these these values and perceptions and images. How useful are they? So, you you, you recognise with some of these some of these things are quite innocuous. The values we place upon sense objects seem. So what? You know, rose is beautiful, grass is green, I like this building, what's the problem with that? And the problem is when we, we lock into those um, statements as being statements of fact, the way things should be. And then of course we resist the change in those phenomena. The, the, we call it deterioration. Say the beautiful rose wilts and passes away. You know, the building grows dirty or breaks up and we say, oh, that's bad, it's a shame, it's gone, oh dear, I've lost it, I want it to be like this. And then some topics, of course, extremely um, potent for us, like our bodies, oh dear, you know, flabby, wrinkled, getting mm, deteriorated, not what it used to be, not as good as it used to be, sick, pain, you know, going wrong. This is the bad side of it. Or our you know, our emotions, you know, the ones we resist, the lows or the confusions or whatever. So you get this tightening, this shouldn't happen to me, I shouldn't feel low or sad or angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you, you, we get these kinds of continual resistances and grasping that, that actually this is where all that anger and sadness comes from is from is this stirred up and this uh, trying to grasp something and then we try and grasp something we feel the grasping and we get upset because we're grasping so we try to stop grasping and we get upset because we can't stop <coughs> grasping we get annoyed with myself for not being able to and I shouldn't be annoyed with myself for trying to not being able to try to stop grasping so I'll try to do this instead and and it gets tighter and tighter and and then you think well look can you just breathe out you know just put the whole thing to bed and just breathe out and then let yourself breathe in You feel what happens with that. Not that you have to make breathing in and breathing out another source of tightness and, and obligation. But what, what, is, what is really meant by that? It means that we, we trust. For a start, you know, something and just loosens up and you trust it. And you flow with it. And you let it change. And you let the breathing out descend and drop 
and end. You don't, one doesn't panic about it. And you let the breathing opening up, you don't worry about whether you need to get it right or not, or whether you're being a bit naughty by breathing in so much. <laughs> you know, and is it really fair taking more than your share? So, you know, you, you get the, the ability to just kind of release some of these um, attitudes that, that contaminate our lives. In a, in, a, in a way which is safe and is its own measure. Mm. So we begin to, through that, you begin to kind of find something that can operate in accordance with a reality that's not egoic, not knotted up. Not that breathing in and out, you know, is something to get fundamentalist about. But it gives you something you can touchstone for. If you could just do that, say, one breath and one in breath, just let it happen, it gives you a clue to both the obstacles and what it would be like if one were free from obstacles, if it were just that. What would it require? It requires certain trust, a trust in something beyond one's self, beyond one's ego, beyond one's me, mine, doing it, beyond me getting it right, me getting it wrong, me having to do it, me be better than somebody else, me developing it, beyond all that, just, you know. And there is a reality beyond all that. And it's peaceful. And it's stressless. And it's here all the time. And the, the obstacles to... to um, to allowing that, to awakening to that, are profound and ingrained. But they have one, you know, certain particular characteristics that you can recognize. They tighten, they constrict, they form dualistic senses, me and you. They form the sense of me and other. And around that is greed, aversion, conceit, defense, loneliness, cut-offness, you know, to the point in which we can even, parts of ourselves are cut from other parts of myself. You know, I kind of, eventually, my ego structure shrinks to a, a kind of a, a, only a 10% or 20% of what, what's happening. It, it kind of, oh no, I don't want to go to that, that dark stuff that's out there, you know, that, that strange stuff, you know, just be here, and then I do various things to make sure I can stay in my good bit. So the ego structure doesn't even you know, encompass all of one's own psychological life. It's really useful um, you're getting a sense of that. So there's no pressure and there's no, no progress in it. There's no declining in it. There's no, it's no big deal. If you can just kind of, you know, being able to touch into that and then use that as one's touchstone for this is the real, this is the good. These other things that we call real and good, now you've got something to measure them by. How good is it? How good is pleasure how you know how good is that high 
How good is progress? How good is being the best? How good is it? You know, what, how does that word good get to that? It's charged, you know, it's achieved, it's succeeded, and then what does that bring around? Sense of possibility of loss or conceit, you know? How good is that? And these, these are very, this, this experience, this egoic experience is very powerful for us. You know, has any, any world war ever been fought for the wrong reason? Does anybody ever fight for the wrong reason? No, everybody's right. Everybody's right. They're just asserting their rights. That's all. Everybody's right. Hmm? So right isn't always true. It's not always, not always untrue either, but you get a, a, another way of, of experiencing reality which is more holistic than just this sense of the heightened charge or the positioned state from which one can then view others or view oneself, forming a view, dualistic state. What's it like? You've got some other way of measuring experience apart from that. Mm. Isn't that really where we feel most easy, at ease and harmonious? And isn't it actually what we, we really want? A lot about struggle is around trying to find a situation, a person, a territory, a place, an occupation where we feel really flowing with that and really into that, you know, there's no resistance here, it's, it's pleasant, it's enjoyable, it's peaceful. I want to feel that, I want to be with that, I want to live with that, I want to give my whole life for that. You know? and so, but the uh, irony of it is that, yes, this is true, but you don't, you don't get there through holding on. And it's not to be found in what's seen or heard or sensed or touched. But it's to be found in the way that we allow those, how we respond to those. So it's, it's like a, just a, you know, a slight inflection away from the edge of what we experience. Normally experience just, we may be focusing on just the sensed experience, the seen, the heard, the touched, the thought, you yeah, know, that. And you don't find it there. You don't find harmony there because that, that sensory world is, is dualistic. You know, I see an object. It's dualistic. You know? I can only see things from this point of view. Mm-hmm. I can create a thought in my mind. You know? But that's always... I can't be... I can't think who I am. I can think... At this very moment, I can, I can get an idea of what I am, but that doesn't encompass the act of thinking. You know, so, so all the sense object, all the sense faculties are dualistic. They, they, they always miss out the subject that's seeing or thinking or hearing. 
we focus on the object of it. So you don't find a way in which one could act, where one can enter into non-dualistic, harmonious, uh, released experience through the senses. But where else are you going to go? No. But it is in the handling of the senses, in the contemplating the feeling, in, in releasing oneself from the grip of those, that you begin to experience the non-dualistic state. And breathing, feeling, experiencing the sense of breathing in the right way is one way of doing this. And this right way, you know, is one that doesn't hold and doesn't reject. You allow things to change and flow. And the learning of that, you know, it takes goes very deep. Because we're so geared to this dualistic mode. Um, we get so much of our thrill, our enjoyment, our sense of positioning, a sense of who I am from what I can do, see, think, touch, taste, and you know the excellence of that, or the say, the fragrance of that, or the clarity of that, or whatever gives me gives a high feeling, and we get off on that. But it, it doesn't lead to peace. This is very uh, particularly poignant when one's whole aim is to, is to realize peace and we get caught in ideologies which is a kind of religious or spiritual hindrance. You get principles and ideologies. And so you can see that the stain of religious life is this, where religious wars get created over pieces of dogma and ideologies. So when the Orthodox Church split with the Catholic Church, it was over um, filioque, Latin filioque, this one word. And the Orthodox said there's only there's the Father and the Son and Holy Ghost comes through is is kind of from those. Or well, there's only two, and then the Catholic Church is only three. Father, Son, Holy Ghost are three things, not two not it's not the Father and the Son, and the Holy Ghost kind of comes through those. It's three separate things. So because the Lat the Orthodox Church had Filioque, which means and the sun, then that's it. Because of that, they burnt down Constantinople. <laughs> because of that, the Fourth Crusade ransacked and murdered and slaughtered people in, in, in Constantinople. Yeah. Uh, these people uh, would, you know, were, had to make the sign of the cross using three fingers, and there were the two finger people who refused to use the third finger and would actually endure torture, brutal torture, rather than use the third finger to make the sign of the cross, you know. Wow. This is about love, love your neighbour as yourself. Um, <laughs> you know, where did that one go? 
And of course, you know, in, in Buddhism, monasteries is burn, burn each other down. There's this feud between these two monasteries in Sri Lanka, Abhayagiri and Mahavihara, ended up in the Mahaviharans burnt the other people's monasteries down. You know. So, these, and make, because you've got to make sure that the pure way prevails, you know, the truth, the real pure truth prevails. I mean, I'm sorry, but because of this, you know, we've got to wipe these people out because it's important the truth, the pure, unadulterated, holy truth prevails, you know. And this is not easy, but I'm sorry we have to do this because it's very important. Sacrifice your life for the pure holy truth. You know? This kind of ideology. You think, well, that's, yeah, right. Get revved up for that crusade, whatever. Wow. Um, so just be, being aware, this is something that human beings can do, who are you know, sincere, committed, and so forth, can do that. Coming from this, uh, because of the, the power of ideology and principles and stuff. And you get a high from it, the nobility of it. The sacrifice for the cause, you know, you get a certain sense of and uh, you feel what it feels like you know? the, the, the attraction of it, the delight in it and the hardness and the cruelty that it can then endorse you know, really be aware, watch out for this when you're actually starting to get into ideas of purity <laughs> I remember when I first went to, picked up Buddhist teachings, it was just through breathing in and out in a monastery in Thailand. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, when I let go a bit, oh, that's done not me anymore, there's something else apart from me. So this I found very interesting and, and deepening. So I wanted to do that, and I could recognize I personally didn't have the kind of discipline or resolution to be able to really do much of that, um, you know, in my own way. So I'd better go to a monastery where I'm going to get support and, you know, get my sticky fingers off of all kinds of other things. <laughs> so you know, there wasn't enough <laughs> self-restraint to be able to do it on my own. So I was quite clear about that. Oh, no, I'm not going to do this. Get somewhere where you, you know everything's set up for it, where you can't do all those crazy things, so get there and right. So, I always came from that position. I didn't think the monastery was right, or the best, or the purest, it was just, it was good enough to stop me getting up to mischief. And uh, it was okay, you know, they got food, place to stay. Um, Most of the people in the monasteries, monasteries didn't meditate at all, doing all kinds of things, and sitting around reading magazines and stuff. Seems like, fine, that's their problem, you know, all there, whatever. Um, but then after a while, I could just see I just needed somewhere where I wasn't so restless. Right? I had to be, be somewhere where I could stay and 
let go. Um, and I that's really what I wanted to do, to go into this deeper sense that happened when I was able to let go of my impulses and compulsions and reactions. Then after a while we got other people came, other Westerners came and some had you know, these ideas about being monks and uh, none of them survived actually. There's a guy who, wanted, who was really into you know, purity but he ended up he got, a, uh, he got obsessed with these novices these homosexual so he, he, he couldn't handle it he had to leave then another chap was really into renunciation so when he got there he couldn't the food wasn't pure enough for a start it was just kind of boiled rice and cabbages and bits of meat and things so that wasn't pure enough so he had to have a special diet with just tomatoes and raw, raw food but he got bored with that and then this teacher used to smoke cigarettes, so he wasn't pure enough. Either. And, it wasn't, so, and then they, they had a little, tried to make the cootie nice for him, so they put a little table and a, and they, and a kettle, and he thought, oh no, this isn't pure, so he got rid of the table and the kettle, and just had this kind of completely bare cootie, so it'd be really pure. And he'd say so after about a month or so of doing all these things, and he wasn't eating, and this monastery too wasn't pure enough. So he left and he was going to a pure monastery but then he met a girl in Bangkok and disrobed instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what was all that about, you know? <laughs> Whereas I didn't particularly want to be pure. Uh, you know, I just wanted to, you know, impure is fine if it just gets me to this whatever. You know, if it gets me to this good this space where I can let go. Then I don't mind. I'll eat the food. I'll, you know, have a table in my room. I'll teach him to smoke cigarettes and drink beer if he likes. It's, it's, I don't care. It's his issue. You know, I just want to be able to do my thing, and they give me a space where I can do it. So, you know, I've managed to stay with that and um, benefited a lot. It wasn't a very pure. Monastery. <laughs> it didn't have to be that pure, because <laughs> I, you know, I, that's 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 their, that's somebody else's business. You know, <laughs> they didn't they didn't force me to be impure. I didn't go around saying you've got to smoke sixty cigarettes a day. You know, you can be pure if you like. <laughs> Good luck. You know, you can find your own level within that, and everybody's it was very allowing actually and it wasn't super strict but it was a very allowing kind of place and people wanted to be pure could be pure people wanted to be quite pure could be quite pure people wanted to be impure could be impure (laughs) 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 and uh, so there's room for all that but essentially you know you didn't have to lay your stuff on somebody else you know it was, was impure was was pretty pure, really. I mean, nobody was kind of violent or drinking or swearing or you know, keeping the precepts. You got this level of it. And then some people were quite diligent, other people were just fairly frivolous and so on. Mm. But you got a common standard of these basic rules that you held in harmony. 
So it's enough, but it's not excellent. You know, you don't feel you're belonging to the winning team. And then you, one could kind of sense that, that, you know, well, he's not he's slacking off, he's not doing very well, then, you know, <laughs> going on in the mind occasionally. <laughs> because you, you know, one wants one's own kind of aspirations to be mirrored, you know, whatever they are. But you don't find them in the, you find you don't find them in something outside. You know, they really are. You have to live them. You can't see them. You can't find them in something that's seen, heard, touched, conceived of. You have to live the peace. You have to do it. You can't find it. You have to do the harmony. You know you don't find a situation that's harmonious, and everybody's really swinging along. No, you don't find that. You have to be harmonious with the way it is, mm. and you can do you can do that. You know? And it's rather like breathing in and breathing out. It's just that sense of you're not going somewhere else. You can feel the energy rising, and you can feel the energy falling, and you feel a sense of suffusion. And you can feel the energies and the senses and the stuff right rolling around within that. It's a much larger, expanded sense. You're not so contracted. And focusing on that is more like a sense of deep receptivity, just drinking it in rather than holding it down. Just absorb, drink it in, drink in the presence. You know, let yourself be gladdened by it. No. Let yourself be happy with that, with that simplicity. Mm. And in, in the Buddhist instructions and Anapanasati, it really goes like that. He's saying, just let your body be calmed with this. Let yourself enjoy it. Let the mind be gladdened and steadied by it. Which is very different from hold it down, get to the happiness, get to the joy, get hold of that steadiness and keep going with it. You know, it's, it's much more just, here it is, allow yourself to. You know, because when, you, when you're at ease, you are glad. You don't have to be gladdened because of the sight or the taste or the touch of something. When you're, when you're at ease, you're glad, you're gladdened by things. You're touched by things. Mm. It's your own sensitivity and receptivity that does it, not the sense objects, not the idea, not other people, not, the, not Buddhism, not the monastery, but your own um, ease and flowing that make it also delightful just as one's own holding and grasping can make it so wretched and grasping is is a very profound and uh, embedded experience for us and you know if it, if it stood up and said hey i'm grasping we wouldn't do it we, if it stood up and said 
I'm grasping and I feel bad. We wouldn't do it. But it says, it doesn't say I'm grasping. It says, oh, it should be like this, shouldn't it? And when it's like this, I feel good. Grasping makes you feel good. For a while. You know, a few seconds. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. But then the end result, you know, in the long term, is one gets tight, hard, defensive, acquisitive, and uh, more and more isolated. So when you're coming out of grasping, it's rather like you know, coming off a drug. You feel a bit wobbly at first, a bit sort of shaky, and you don't really you know, know where you are because so much of your moorings are really based upon the ability to hold on. So at first it's very destabilizing. Why our practice, uh, you know, always has to begin with a bottom line of practice is I go for refuge. Please accept me, you know. I open to that which will accept me as I am in my pain and my tension and my defensiveness. You know, this is our sense of refuge is this. We can be aware of that in a compassionate way rather than a punishing or judgmental way. And just to always rem- remember that, you know, we have taken refuge and to be able to go to that, and you, then meditation comes from that. Just never leave the refuge. Take the refuge and embody the refuge. Let yourself breathe from the refuge. Listen from the refuge place. Because um, the refuge where we begin is really is all, all there is. It's, it's, where, it's the end of it as well, really. You know, we have it, the Nibbana is sometimes called the safe, the safe place, the secure place, the place you can't leave. It is the refuge. And, um, you know, it's that unwinding and that humility and that graciousness and that faith that there is this for us. It's just like as easy as breathing in and out and as frustratingly awkward at times. When you get, uh, you can just have that check. I sometimes use mindfulness of breathing rather than purely as a meditation practice. It's own right as a background thing. So when I'm talking to someone, I, how's my breathing now? You know, is it being held, starting to tighten up? So I can use it as a kind of like not just as a, a unified focus, but also as a checking, like the like the the backdrop and uh, or I listen to somebody and I can almost sense how their breathing pattern is whether it's tightened or withheld or there's, there's tension in the body and then if they can't breathe I try to breathe for them just 
you know, as I can feel some time, I just keep breathing out. Because these systems are very empathic. You know, not, even, not our thinking minds tend to be non-empathic. <laughs> the separatists. But, you know, human system, after a while, almost like the body begins to feel the presence of another body that's just breathing in and breathing out, and it calms down. Yeah. If you notice that, uh, so animals can generally pick it up. You hold an animal and breathe in and breathe out calmly, the animal will calm down. Hold a child will tend to do that. Adults are a bit more difficult because of this ego structure that's getting in the way. But then to be able to you know, sense in one's own life, one's own emotional and psychological ongoing life, I could, well, I think I need to breathe out a bit here. Oh yeah, oh, my shoulders were tightening up, chest was closing down. Wow, what was going on? Whatever the topic was, yeah. breathing out. Or when you get that feeling of, well, you know, you can't do much after all. It's, you know, people are lying, hopeless, isn't it? You can't really... Can't really. You know, I think you need to breathe in. <laughs> you, know, you can sense the energy just kind of falling down and down and down. And there is such a thing as an in breath, you know. You go, oh. And then when it's tightened up, and you've got to, and you can't, and you mustn't. It's all like this. And you know, people, can we get this really? Could we make this right? Could people please get this right? So, you know, because of one of them fall apart, if we don't, this, just, just, just breathe out. You know? I mean, don't, don't drop the topic, but just leave it there. And see what happens if you breathe out and then try to address that difficulty from a breathing out space. Think, oh. What I meant to say was, I'm feeling a bit stressed and I wonder if you could help me. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot in in that you, one can make use of in daily life, and then when you come from that space, then we actually understand each other. We we when we, we empathise, I know what stress is about, and feeling wound up is about, feeling depressed is about. Mm, yeah. But then your own understanding, try to feel where, you, where your own breath energy or your energy levels are with that and then you know what you need to do energetically. Mm, could it be just a bit more the out-breath, dropping down into the abdomen, letting go all the way down to the floor, down through your feet? Or is it in the in-breath, letting it fill up your chest and your collarbone up into your face, and you're really brightened with that. Mm. And there it is, it's right there for us. Every moment of our lives, we have this um, barometer for awakening and for healing ourselves. Amen. Mm-hmm.